Good morning, church. Good to see each one of you this morning. Well, let's stand and worship our God who reigns supreme. King, 
Super excited to be able to be here this morning, to be able to worship God. What a great day. And we had a great couple of days of sunshine, right? I didn't know what to do with myself. It's like, what? It's awesome. Well, we are uh, glad to be here, and I'm glad for you to be able to join us. We are privileged to be able to partner with many different ministries and uh, throughout the world. And, and when our missionaries are in town, we definitely want to honor them and celebrate them. And... We have a, a missionaries that are here today, Marcel and Angela, that are here from Romania. And a while back, we were able to send some money to, um, to Marcel to be able to help some of the Ukrainian refugees and such, and the ministries, and, and Zolt was here earlier and, and with that. So I'm going to ask Marcel to come up. He's going to give us kind of an update of what's going on there and how to pray for them. So Marcel, if you want to come up, this should be ready to go. Yeah. Uh, good morning, everybody. It's so good to be back here. So, together on mission, maybe some of you don't know, there are, I think, 30 years since your church has been supporting us back in Romania, in Alba Iulia. So, um, the first trip I took here was in 97. So, and it's so good to be back here. So, um, because... You know, last year the war started and all our agenda was changed, you know. And uh, b because Romania is, has the largest border with Ukraine, you know, so what we did, and we know that this church has a heart for the people like them, you know. Lois spent so many times, uh, years uh, teaching there. So what we did... We prayed for people to come and to serve them in the name of Jesus. And here is a family we hosted. We had the, the house ready for them. It's a family of nine people. Uh, the lady I talked to, she was wondering if, if it, there is a place for eight people and one of them uh, uh, was on a, in a wheelchair because having uh, his leg amputated. And there were four generations, and there are four generations in that family. And what a joy. After two days of uh, uh, going from their country to have a, a peaceful place and to have some uh, uh, soup cooked by one of our ladies and to eat together. And then to be in our church meetings. Uh, the mother, she's a Christian, and the uh, uh, parents, yes, but the children, not yes. So please pray for them. Okay. And what we did, we tried to m um, make their life uh, happy, you know. And uh, here is the birthday of uh, the youngest one, the baby, one year old. You know, we hosted in our home. And uh, Angela was so good to... Uh, invite them to use our facilities for that. Uh, please go on. Uh, and uh, we have here Marina, another Ukrainian lady with her son. She's a widower because she lost her ha husband six years ago. Uh, having her birthday in our home, you know. Please continue. Okay. And also we invited uh, them to reach out those uh, which are not Christians. So here is Maxim. Uh, uh, speaking uh, the word, the gospel to some of the young people which we do, they don't know Christ, you know, please continue. 
And we had also picnics where we invited them in order to help them to connect, you know, and uh, also to feel the love of God through us, the believers, you know. And we invited them to have some cherish from our <laughs> fruit trees because we have at home. Please continue. Okay, and also we open our facilities for them to come for special prayer time in their language and for sharing, you know. And uh, uh, me, I had the privilege to have a message in English, you know, to them. And, uh, because one of them was speaking English and uh, she interpreted for me. So what we also did, uh, with your help, uh, because your church... Is there the bird? <laughs> Which has... Okay. Watch... <laughs> okay. Watch, what we did, it's that with the help of your church with, uh, and other churches, we shipped uh, uh, things, uh, supplies in Ukraine because most of the refugees were there, you know. And Tryan and two pastors uh, from Ukraine uh, were together and they shipped... Uh, uh, in uh, the war zone, uh, the things, and also we gave money, and much money is also from you to buy stoves, you know, generators, and things they need. Please continue. And here is the pre uh, the modular home we put in order to have more space for them, you know, to uh, stay. We build that. Please continue. Here, uh, more images about that house which is uh, now ready to be used, and we have had some small groups in that uh, uh, meanwhile, you know, and we had also some of them uh, hosted there in, uh, in this home and in our home as well. Please continue. And we have a special event when we had a team from Atlanta with uh, 250 ladies, and 60 of them were from Ukraine, you know, so they felt the love of Christ. Please continue. And... We have an emphasis on the next generations, and uh, what we do is camps, and Carrie and others, they join us in the past, and hopefully in the future, we will continue to that, as James and Michelle will be this summer for that. We have sports ministry, uh, uh, with, uh, we had the, uh, a championship for, uh, let's say, a week with them, you know, please continue, uh, like soccer, basketball, and it was... Uh, and then an award, uh, uh, award uh, ceremony and picnic at Harmony, where we had a group of 80 teenagers for the first time on our property, you know, and uh, uh, some of them were coming there smoking. But this is the generation we need to reach, you know. So please pray for that, because sports continues, and we want to have teams from here coming and do that, award ceremony. And we had a small construction work at, uh, uh, on our property, you know. They built a, like a shed, you know, like uh, to store the things uh, we have, uh, the equipment. But Jolt, you know him, he's using this for his studies, because now he, I share preaching with him, and he preaches twice. Uh, uh, a month, you know, so he's jolt, please continue, and we had some teams from War Race and helping in the refugees ministry, please continue, and uh, these are some goals for 2023, uh, we prepare a baptism with some young people, please continue, camps at Somesh and I'm so glad that uh, 
uh, Michelle and uh, James will join them this summer and hopefully next year we'll have a full team in order to help that. Tryon is the guy, our elder, which manages uh, all these camps. Please continue, you know. And we want to have, uh, uh, to have a team coming uh, this year to help us in the sports, you know, again. And we have this project, a multi-purpose building. How much we would like to see this happening, you know. And uh, please pray for this because we need facilities on that property in order to have, uh, uh, let's say, ministry going on. So these are our prayer requests. Thank you so much. Yeah. So we're going to pray for Marcello and Angela th uh, this morning. Angela, will you please come up? Yes. You can just set that right there in, yeah. the, in the holder. We're going to pray for them as we do for our missionaries and, and pray over them, pray blessings. And, and um, much of what you had seen is also reported in the newsletter that you guys all should have gotten, some of the pictures that are there. Um, I know it was kind of a fast forward, but we, we want to give you just that snapshot look of, at what's going on. We also want to pray for Marcella and Angela because today is their 40th wedding anniversary. So let's pray over them. Father, we thank you for Marcella and Angela. We thank you for the ministry and the partnership in ministry for so many years the blessings that we've had in, in sharing in ministry together and the fruit of the ministry. Lord, I'm blessed to be able to watch many of the young people that I saw in camp so many years ago, walking with you and getting married and having children and the next generation. Lord, I thank you that we can continue that work and we pray blessings over the continued... Lord, I pray for the finances, that you provide the funds to build the multi-purpose building so that... Harmony can move out of the, uh, the rented facility onto the property. Amen. We pray that you would bring great uh, prosperity. Amen. But, Father, we pray also for a great harvest of souls. Amen. Lord, we would ask that, that you would pour out your spirit mightily. Amen. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Father, we thank you. You are great and you are kind. You give us everything that we need. And, Lord, even now we want to pause. And reflect on your goodness, and your kindness, and your grace, and your provision. Lord, we know that, that our lives are in your hands. We want to honor you with our voices and our lives. We pray blessing over this offering. May you use it for your kingdom's purpose, whether it's here in Warren or in Romania or, or wherever these dollars would go to be able to provide for the needs of the people, to share the gospel. Lord, we ask that you would extend these dollars and that they would be used and, and to glorify you until that day that you take us home. May we honor you with the totality of our being. We praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. That praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it rise. Let praise arise. 
you break down every wall, will watch the giants fall. For fear cannot survive when we praise you. The God of breakthroughs on our side, forever lift him high. With all creation cry, God, we praise you. Without hope. 
Thank you that you are our Lord. 
And that when the storms of life come, you are there. We may not feel you. We may not sense your presence. But you said that you would, you promised that you would never leave us. You would never, ever, ever forsake us. You just will not ever do that. So God, we thank you that you are Lord. No matter how hard the winds blow, no matter how hard the ship rocks, we know that we are in the palm of your hand, that you are taking care of us, and that we can lift our voice and we can praise you, and we can give you honor and glory and praise, even in those times, knowing that you receive our praise, and that that reminds us of who you are, what you've done for us. So we are grateful people. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. We thank you and look forward to that day when we will see you and stand in your presence, blameless, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done for us. We thank you now that we can reap the benefits of our relationship with you that you lead, you provide, you're our shepherd, you're our savior, you're our Lord. We love you this morning. And we say thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Acts 27. As we uh, are only a couple weeks away from ending our study through the book of Acts, and then we'll be taking a look at Palm Sunday and Good Friday and such. We're going to be taking a look at how to navigate storms. Now, the thing about storms is, is they're pretty indiscriminate. They really don't pick their victims, do they? Storms don't go, well, you know, I think I'm going to go after the old today. I'm going to go after the young today. I'm, I'm, I'm only going to pick on those in the Midwest or wherever they're going to be. Storms are going to come, and they're going to come regardless of age or stage or, or, or spirituality, all of these things. It doesn't matter where you're at. The storms are going to come. And spiritually, that's true. In your life, it's not a matter of if the storms are going to come, but it's when they come. And, and what are you going to do when those storms come? And how you determine to encounter that storm and who you determine to listen to will guide you through that storm. It's imperative to be able to understand. It's going to happen with that. Now, the other thing that we've got to understand is, is as storms are indiscriminate, and spiritual storms and emotional storms and all these things are indiscriminate within our life, we also have to keep in mind one fact. God's sovereign over all the storms. And, and within that, we can endure a storm based on the closeness of our relationship with God. To be able to be in that place. God is over the storm, and He's with you in the storm, and God will speak in the midst of the storm. And how close you are to God will determine on your ability to listen to Him within that. Sometimes God will seem like He's quiet in the storm. Other times God will speak His peace in the midst of the storm in a still, small voice. And if you can 
get into that place where you realize, God, you've allowed this storm. You're sovereign over the storms. You've allowed this storm in my life. Why? Why? What are you doing? Have you ever stopped in the midst of the storm and say, God, speak? And just pause and say, God, speak. Most of the time, we're so overwhelmed by the storm, we scream at God, God, will you say something? But just to pause and say, God, will you speak? Today, we're going to be taking a look at Acts 27. Luke gives us a very detailed narrative of Paul's journey, the last leg of his journey in getting to Rome within this and the events that are there. I think it's interesting as we take a look at this passage, we put it in the context of how Luke narrated the last days of Jesus before he left the earth. Luke was very detailed in his narration of those last days of Jesus, as he is with the details concerning Paul in his last days before he goes to Rome to give us to all of these details. Paul is finishing his race. He's come to know Jesus. He's been establishing churches. He has been discipling people. He brought the finances from Macedonia back to Jerusalem. And then he was arrested and he's gone through these trials. And he appealed to Caesar to go and to witness to Caesar in these trials. And so he's always wanted to go. And God said to him, Paul, you will be a witness to Caesar. You are going to Rome. Have you ever heard the saying, all roads lead to Rome? Do you ever figure out or try to figure out where it came from? I googled it because you can Google just about anything. Well, I did. And I found out that in 300 B.C., there were 29 major roads that were developed by the Roman Empire that would connect 113 provinces through Europe, through uh, the Near East and through North Africa, all with the intention of providing access to Rome. That's huge when you think about that. So all roads lead to Rome? Yep, including the waterways. And Paul is on one of those waterways, and he, he gets this. Now, Luke gives us, a, again, a detailed account of this event, Paul's shipwreck and navigating a storm. And, by the way, this is not Paul's first storm, nor is it his first shipwreck. In fact, in Corinthians, he tells us that he was shipwrecked three times. And, and, and so... You look at it and you go, wow, that's kind of crazy when you think about it. But it all banks on one thing, a promise. In Acts 23.11, in his trial, Paul was told, but on the night immediately following, the Lord stood by his side and said, take courage, for as you've solemnly witnessed to me, or to my cause in Jerusalem, so you must witness also to Rome. So when you think a look at, you take a look at the divine promise that God says, you will be in Rome And how that's going to guide Paul and help him navigate the storm that he is going to go through on this ship. It's going to be an anchor for his spirit to be able to trust in God in these things. And so within this, the travel for Paul to get to Rome was really, really tough. It was difficult. God said, you're going to go to Rome, but he didn't say it's going to be an easy road. Have you ever had that in your life? God, I'm trusting in this promise. But getting there, man, I don't like the journey. And it's tough. And so he's in this travel. And so 
Acts has been giving us the account of the early church, but it also gives us the account of a tension. The tension is this. The difficulty of life and ministry compared to the sovereignty of God. Life is not going to be easy. If you thought it was going to be easy, I'm sorry, it's not. But God is sovereign overall, and He has control. And I guess the, the question I want you to think about as we move through this passage is, when these storms of life hit, where do you go for encouragement? Who do you listen to? How do you find hope? What we need to do is reject the wisdom of men and leaders, and we also got to reject our own understanding and just say, God, you've got this, and trust in Him. We're going to stand and we're going to read through not all of Acts 27. You're welcome. But we are going to read a passage. So let's read, stand and we're going to give respect to a, a certain section out of Acts 27 that I want to, uh, we'll get to in verses 21 to 26. And just setting our hearts on what the Lord wants to teach us. When they had gone a long time without food, and then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice, not to have set sail from Crete and cured damage and loss. Yet now I urge you, keep up your courage. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I've told you. But we must run aground on a certain island. Thank you very much, Paul. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of His Word. I have a number of illustrations that I'll be showing you, but we want to take a look at this first section in verses 1 through 8, that we need to really trust God that He's direct. Do you trust, do you trust God's directing your path? Implicitly? All the time? No, you're all liars. Verses 1 through 8, he says this, when it was decided that we should set sail for Italy, that they proceeded to deliver Paul and, and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in an Andromedan ship, which was about to set sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out sea, accompanied by Aristus of Macedonia of Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul with consideration, allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. And there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because of the winds were contrary. And then we sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia. We landed in Myra and Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. And he put us on board. And when we sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty, we had arrived in Snidus, or in Nidus, uh, since the wind did not permit us to go further, and we sailed under the shelter of Crete, of Salome, and with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which was in the city of Lassia. So you're all ready for your geography test, right? <laughs> no. What is it? Well, here's a map that's going to kind of show you what's going on within this. 
Paul was in Caesarea Maritima under Festus. Now, Festus had given him the trials. Remember, Herod Agrippa was there. They went through the trials, and he says, I want to go to Rome. And he said, Paul, you're not going to be able, we're, not, we're going to send you to Rome. We're just going to go. So he's getting ready to pack them up. And this journey that we just read takes us from here to Sidon, up around Syria in Pamphylia. Paul was from Tarsus, around Cyprus, past Myra, through this strait by Snidus, down past Cape Salome to Lycia to Fair Havens, and then you're going to see this Phoenix and this island of Crete that is right there. Everything I just read you in verses 1 through 8 is this journey that is right there along that. So what do we see here? Well, one of the things that we got to understand is that Paul was trusting God for the journey within this. Festus says it's time to go, and he sets him in charge of, uh, he gives him over to a centurion named Julius. And he was of the imperial or the Augustan cohort that was there in Caesarea Maritima at the Army Force. So he says to him, he says, you're going to go, and what we want to do is we're going to send you on this place. Now, one of the things you've got to understand is the word we. Here in this account, if you notice the word we, who's the we? It's Luke. Luke, who is writing this, is actually going to be on board with Paul during this. So this is an eyewitness account. How did we get so much detail? Because Luke writes it because he was on the ship with him. Which tells me that we got to pick our friends who we're going to travel with. And there's also Aristarchus. Aristarchus, if you remember, was a Thessalonian that had come with Paul with the money from Macedonia to bring it to Jerusalem. So he traveled this whole way, made it to Caesarea, and now he's on his way home and, and, and within this. And so what are they getting on? Well, they're getting on what would be a, a merchant ship or a grain ship. And I have a picture of the grain ship. So this is a, a, a 3D rendition of what a grain ship would look like back at that time. Notice there is no Merck motor or Yamaha motor on the back end. What are they, what do they got to do? Well, they got to trust the sail. They got to trust the wind, and they, notice the rudders that are on there to be able to steer the ship and going forward. And it was all made out of what? Wood. And this was the normal way of traveling. And so this this grain ship or this merchant ship was was picked out to go. It was an Andromedan ship, and it was heading towards the seaport of Mysia, a cargo ship. And what it would do is it would it would go to different port cities. So let's have the map again. So then they would do is this little merchant ship would jump from here to side and pick up and drop off people and then kind of move around the coast and drop at different places. It was just like a, a FedEx truck, if, if you would. It was, it was moving around. So how are you going to get there? Well, you're going you're gonna to get on this ship. And so the other thing that I think is interesting that as we look at this, does God make mistakes? No. And he foreordains relationships. So he connects him up with this guy named Julius, who's of the Alexandrian cohort, who shows favor to him. So he gets on board. They get on board. They sail up to Sidon. And so what does Julian do? Julian says, hey, Paul, while we offload and while we onload all the different things, why don't you go and say hi to all your Christian friends? And what do you see is odd about that? Paul's a prisoner. And Julius is saying, 
Go hang out with your Christian buddies while we onboard and offload all of this different stuff. He has favor. In fact, that word favor there is philanthropos or friendly. So God had ordained this friendly relationship with this Roman leader and Paul the prisoner, and he's allowed to go to Sidon and to be there. Now, he, after leaving Sidon, they onboard everything, then they travel another 15 days, and they're on their way over to, from, Myra, or from Sidon all the way up and around uh, to Fairhaven. So within this, we see that he gets on this ship, and he goes from Myra, and if you notice where Myra is, Myra is here, so this is a 15-day trip that's here. He goes from Myra, and he's going to offboard there, and there he's going to pick up another Alexandrian ship. It's a, it's a larger ship, and we have a picture of that. So this would be similar to the other ship, but a little bit bigger, and you can see the cargo holds that are within. They're very similar, but a larger ship, and it's got a mainsail. This is going to be important to understand within this. This is a model ship that they had actually made, and it's in a place that we'll read about in a little bit, called the, the Harbor of St. Paul, within this. And so within this, they would travel. Now, this grain ship was typically 114 feet long and would hold about 1,228 tons of grain. Now, this is where the story changes a little bit, because it goes from a merchant ship into a Roman controlled ship. It had this, this grain that was from Egypt that was part of the imperial army's grain. So the imperial army was the Romans. So the centurion now is in charge of this ship because not only is it full of Roman prisoners, but it's also full of what? Roman grain. Now, within this, you can see how God is ordering everything just so. Paul thought, great, I'm on the ship. This is not a cruise line. There's no... There's no, you know, room service or any of this other stuff, but he, he, he's in good favors. And so within this, he's going to go and travel all the way up into Fair Havens, which is from Myra to Snidus, which is about 130 nautical miles. And, I, and so within this, he's going to go from Snidus all the way down into Fair Havens, which is another trip, not very far, 130 miles. He's got, the plan is to go from here down around the Cape into Fair Havens. That's right there into this trip. Now you say, well, okay, well, why is that important? It, it really is important to understand that Paul getting to Rome was difficult. It, it, it took time to do this. We read it in a moment, but it really is a long time. What is Paul doing while he's on the ship? Witnessing. Do you think Paul's sitting there quiet, staying in his room? You know, the best thing you can do when you're, when you're, you got somebody on the ship, share Jesus with them. Why? Where are they going to go? That's why fishing ministry is so important. Well, the text tells us that all along, though, they were hitting headwinds. They were hitting headwinds, and it was taking a little bit longer than what they wanted. It was difficult. And so they would pull into the port of Fair Havens that is there. Now, question, was Paul's trip to Rome ordained by God? Yes. If God ordains something, is it going to happen the way that God wants it? Absolutely. Even if there is some resistance in the process, is life easy? No. 
Life is difficult at times, and sometimes we hit these headwinds, and sometimes we have these difficulties in the process of following God. But God has been ordaining Paul's life even since birth. Paul would say, even from the womb I was chosen. The day of his salvation was chosen. The ministry in whom he would minister to was chosen from the beginning. And if you remember in the statement when Paul was called, and this is a dangerous one, when Paul was called and God was speaking to Ananias about healing Paul of his blindness, he said to him, I have chosen him to be a witness to the Gentiles and note, he must suffer much for my name's sake. I don't ever want to know that. You imagine? I've chosen Carrie and he's going to suffer much. Paul's suffering was ordained by God. Well, wait a minute, Carrie. You mean that God will ordain suffering? Yeah. He will. For his glory. For his purpose. But God is ultimately in charge with not just the suffering, but the blessing. And you say, well, why is that important? Why is it important to understand that they got blown off a course? Why is it important that they would go to Crete? Do you know why? Because in Crete, there were people that needed to be saved. How do we know that? Because as Paul would journey, no Christians had gotten to Crete yet. And he would get to Crete in Fair Havens, and he would plant the church that was there. How do we know that? Based on Titus, chapter 1, verse 5, where he sends Titus. He said, for this reason I left you in Crete, he's talking to Titus, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city that I declared you to. Even in the midst of the storms, the difficulties, and even when you think you're blown off of course, God has ministry for you there in those places. And so we take these things and we say, God, you're in charge. And, and so within this, we say, well, you know, the sailors are trying to keep it on course. They're trying to get there at a certain time. They're trying to get up to this place. But even though the sailors are trying to keep things going in their direction, what does God say? Oh, no, no, no. You're going my way. You're going my way. Why? Because there's many in Crete that need to be saved. So the detours in your life that come up, accept them. Why? Because God has a work for you to do even in the detours, the changes, the difficulties, the hardships. And we need to listen to the leaders that God has produced and to, the, and to God Himself as He guides us. Well, they land in Fair Havens and things change a little bit. Look at verses 9 through 12. It says, when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul, because the harbor was not suitable for wintering a major... Uh, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there, and somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing southwest-northwest, and spend, more, spend the winter there. And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete, close to the shore. So, what ends up happening? Well, they get to Crete, and then they get into Fair Havens, 
And then they restock and they do everything that they're going to do. And they're like, well, what do we do? Here's the problem. Prime sailing was any time of the year between February and September. But September to October, the Mediterranean Sea would get rough. You really didn't want to be on it, but it was passable. But from October all the way into February, you don't want to be on the Mediterranean Sea. It is not the proper time to sail. And so within this, Paul steps up and he says, Look, guys, I don't think we should leave Fairhavens. I think we need to stay here. We need to winter here and get past February and everything's good. We know the time of the year because it says the day of the atonement or Yom Kippur had already passed. In 59 AD, which was the time of this, Yom Kippur was on October 5th. And it's already spent two weeks in travel. So that puts them at the end of October. And they're going to try to make it through the Adriatic Sea within this period of time. Paul's like, no, I don't think this is a good idea. So Paul gives his advice. Now, what's interesting is this. you got a prisoner that is telling a captain, a pilot, and a Roman centurion what to do. And they listen to him. Why? Because he's already been on the ship and proven himself to be trustworthy. So Paul gets to speak into this. But they took this advice, and it says the majority made the decision. Here's a problem. The majority is usually wrong. And within this, so Paul steps up within this, and he gives this warning, but they ignore the warning within this. Now, keep in mind, Paul has already been through two shipwrecks we know of. In 2 Corinthians 11.25, it says, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And night and day I have spent in the deep. In other words, I floated in a night and a day. What is Paul saying? I've done this before. I don't want to do this again. I'm old. I don't want this. I, I don't want this. He's using logic. He's using life experience. But the centurion and the pilot, have you ever met somebody that says, we know what to do? And they, they weren't going to listen to this Jewish rabbi. rabbi. And so these seasoned sailors were the experts. Who do you follow when the storms are approaching? When you see a storm coming, who do you follow? Should you follow the experts or should you follow God? Paul saw the storm coming. Paul knew the promise. We're going to get to Rome. But he gave his advice and the experts said, don't do this. And what did they say? No, we don't like it here in Fairhaven. We're going to go to Phoenix. Phoenix is only 36 miles along the coast of Crete. We can make another 36 miles. Let's just push it out. Let's go over to Phoenix. It's a better port. We know that port. We know it. It's comfortable. It's, it's a place that we want to go. We don't want to stay here, so let's push it. So the experts were saying, let's push it. Paul's saying, let's stay. The problem with not listening to the right leader is not listening, uh, listening to the wrong leader is going to send you in the midst of a storm. What was the problem? There are four problems that we see with this. One... This majority was impatient. They were impatient in their planning. In Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, 
in the NIV version, it, it captures this really well. So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay, in Zion, lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone, for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. If they would have relied on the leadership of God, they wouldn't be struggling and end up in panic. The second thing, besides trusting and, and, and they were impatient, they were trusting in their own understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Why do we end up in storms? Because we're impatient? Why do we end up in storms? Because we trust our own understanding. Why do we end up in storms? Because they said a gentle breeze arose, and they thought it was a good time to go. Don't trust in circumstances. They will mislead you within this. The gentle wind would turn into a tempest. And they allowed circumstances to guide them. Well, it seems like the right thing to do. God's leading because the circumstances are telling me this. No. No. Listen to the voice of God. Not the circumstances. Can Satan manipulate circumstances? Absolutely. Fourth, they were looking for comfort, not safety. They wanted to get to Phoenix because that was the comfortable port. Fairhavens was the safe port. Be very careful that you do not trade safety for personal comfort within this. They were already safe. They had the place. Where they should have listened to Paul, shouldn't they? Uh, but they didn't. They listen to the experts. Be careful. So what goes on? In verses 13 to 44, Luke gives us the storm narrative. We go on. And when moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had attained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along creek close to the inshore. But before very long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called a Eurokeel. And when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, they gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along, running under the shelter of a small island called Claudia. We were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And then they hoisted it up and they supported the cables, girding the ship, fearing that it might run aground on the shallows of Syrtis and lay down to anchors in this way to let themselves be driven along. And the next day we were being violently tossed and they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard in their own hands. And since there was neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small storm was assailing us. And then all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. We'll pause there for a minute. So what ends up happening? They should have listened to Paul. The gentle wind was blowing. Let's see the map again. The gentle wind was blowing and they leave Fair Havens and they got a little gentle wind. Then all of a sudden a big tempest blows and starts blowing them off course and they start freaking out. Now they're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea and they're getting rid of all of their cargo and they're dragging their weights. They're trying to figure out what's going on and how to do this. They're worried about Sirtis Major and the sandbars that are along here because they know this is bad. This is northern Africa, Tripolinia, within this, and they're being blown across. 
should have listened to Paul. They were trying to find shelter, and what do they do? They end up keel-hauling chains around the wooden boat to keep the planks together. Is Fairhaven looking pretty good about now? I think so. Within this. And so they continue on moving through this. And then we see they lose the sun, moon, and stars. Question, how do sailors navigate? The storm was raging and they lost their direction. And they couldn't find their direction, therefore they couldn't find hope. They were lost. Being driven by the wind, helplessly off course. Have you ever lost direction? Where am I? Where am I going? I'm doing everything I can now to survive. Panic sets in. They're throwing the cargo, the extra stuff. Why? They want to lighten the load to get the ship to float. They want the draft of the ship to get high enough. The experts and the professionals are in control. Are they? No. The storm is in control within this. So what does God do when they've lost all hope? God provides hope. Look at verses 21 to 26. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in the midst of them and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred damage and loss. Yet now I urge you, keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God, that it will turn out exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on the certain island. Well, this is like I've got good news and I've got bad news. Imagine, Paul stands up now, he's in control, and he says, look it, guys, take courage. <laughs> what do you mean, take courage? We're going to crash. And he says, no, take courage. God's spoken to me. An angel of the Lord appeared to me and says, you must go to Rome. You're going to make it through this. And I'm going to grace all of those that are with you to be saved. Not one person will be lost. But you're going to crash the ship. Now, that's not very good news, is it? If you're a sailor, you're going, wait a minute. That, that's not good news. That's bad news within this. And so we think about all the, the times that the hope was lost. Yet God came in and intervened and gave them hope. And he says, keep your courage. It's a, it's a present active imperative. It means hold on to your courage. Why? Because God spoke. In the midst of the storm. The first advice Paul gave was his own advice. The second set of advice he gave was directly from God. Who are you going to listen to? The experts or God? I love the fact that Paul gave his advice and he stepped back. Even in the midst of the storm, he doesn't say anything until God speaks. Sometimes you have to allow somebody you give your advice to to lose hope and then bring the Word of God to them within that. 
And so we see that they, they, they find that place. Verse 27 to 32, we see the centurion following up on Paul's leadership within this. It says this, But when the fourteenth night came, as we were being driven about in the Adriatic Sea, and about midnight the sailors began to surmise that they were approaching some land, they took soundings and found twenty fathoms, and a little further they found soundings and found it fifteen thousand fathoms. And fearing that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast out anchors from the stern and wished for daybreak. That word wished literally means prayed. But as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, let down the ship's boat to see the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from below or from the bow, Paul said to the centurion, to the soldiers, unless these men retain on the ship, you yourselves will not be safe. And then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it float away. So what ends up happening? Well, back on the map. So we see them, they're traveling, and they're down here on this northern area, and everything's getting bad, and they're jettisoning everything. They don't want to hit the shoals. They don't want to get into that place. And so they're from 120 feet to 90 feet. They're getting out around the point and coming up, and so they're, they're starting to freak out. Now, by this time, they've moved. Let me go back one. Thank you. By this time, they've moved past the shoals, and they're coming in here, but they're getting a little bit narrow. So now you can go to the, the, the straits. So now they're coming around the point of Kura. And they're, the, the land's getting a little bit deeper. What do they do? The, the sailors say, this isn't good. We're going to pretend we're going to drop anchors within this. And we're going to slow the ship down. What they would do is they would put the anchors in the skiff, put the skiff out, and then they would drop the anchors. What were the anchors? They were not anchors like what we know. They were stones. We can see that picture of the anchors here. These are pictures of what the anchors would have looked like. And they would have dropped those anchors off of this. Sailors say, here's what we're going to do. We're close enough, maybe, we're going to pretend we're going to get into the skiff and go. We're going to pretend to drop these anchors. Paul informs the centurion and says, nope, isn't going to work. They all have to stay here in order for God's promise to be fulfilled. So the centurion cuts the, the lines. Here's the problem. In the storms that you go through, you develop an exit strategy. If you focus on the exit strategy, your lifeboat, you will never encounter God's guidance through the storm. It's the chicken exit. Many people go through marital strife, a marital storm. But in the back of their mind, they have divorce as their lifeboat. And if I don't get through it, then I'm going to jump in my lifeboat of divorce and I'm going to get out and be safe. You want to know how to hear God and make it through the storm and follow God's promises? Cut the lines to your lifeboat. Remove the exit plan. Because as long as you're double-minded, you will never, ever hear the direction of God. Whatever your exit strategy is, whatever your lifeboat is, whatever means by which you have determined is the way that you're going to be able to get out of the storm, God says, cut it. And trust in Him. Because remember the promise that God said, everybody will be there. We need to get rid of those lifeboats and trust in God. What does Paul do? He prepares everybody for the shipwreck. Look at verses 33 to 38. Until the day was about to dawn, Paul was encouraging them all to take some food. Today is the 14th day that you haven't constantly been watching and going without eating. Therefore, I encourage you, take some food. 
for this is for your preservation, and not a hair from your head or any of you will perish. And having said this, he took bread, gave thanks to God, and in the presence of all, broke it and began to eat. And all of them were encouraged. Notice now they're encouraged. They themselves also took food. And all of us in the ship were 276 persons. When they had eaten enough, they began to lighten the ship and throwing out the wheat to the sea. So what ended up happening? Well, they, Paul goes through and breaks the bread. Did he give them communion? No, there's no wine. And it was very Jewish. Who's the leader now? Paul. Breaks the bread, eat. Now that you've eaten, get rid of everything. Why? Lighten the ship. Why? Because we're going to crash. But that's okay. God said we're going to crash. And then he brings a Jewish proverb. Not a hair of your head will be lost. Remember the account of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It says when they went through the fiery furnace and their hair did not smell like smoke. Why? Because God will protect. God will protect them. Get ready. You're going to crash. It's kind of like on that airplane when... (laughs) Assume crash position. Put your head down and pray. I think it's also interesting to understand that the pagans were praying. Who were they praying? They were praying to see daybreak. You see all of that. The last account is the crash scene. Verses 39 to 44. When it came daybreak, they could not recognize the land, but they did observe a bay with a beach which resolved to drive the ship on. And casting off the anchors, they left them to the sea, while at the same time they loosened the ropes and the rudders, hoisted the foresail to the wind where they were heading to the beach. Striking a reef where two seas met, they ran the vessel aground, the prow struck fast, remained immovable, stern began to be broken up. Soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none of them would swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to bring Paul to safety, through, kept them through their intention and commanded that those who could swim jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest should follow on some planks and others various things of the ship. And so it happened when they were all brought safely to land. So what do we see? Well, we see they come into the land. So let's see the bay again. So they would have been coming in. This is Paul's Bay. It was a very narrow channel. It's only 100 feet wide that is across this. They would have been coming in. They're coming in hard and fast. They cut loose of the anchors. They set the foresail. We're going to stick it. The problem is when they stuck it, they stuck it in a bad place where two seas were met. And the instructions were, we're going to jump overboard. The centurion soldier said, we're going to kill them. Why? Because it was better for a prisoner to be dead than a prisoner to escape. Because the centurion... Uh, soldier would have to take place. But the centurion, remember the centurion. Paul made a relationship with him. Said, we're going to trust in him. The centurion trusted in the word of the Lord. Said no. So he goes in and he gave the orders. If you can swim, jump overboard now. If you can't swim, wait until the ship's broken up and whatever's floating, grab it and drift. And get to the shore within this. And we know that they were all saved, 276 within this. How do you navigate a storm? Don't listen to the professionals. There are different storms in our lives. Storms of correction, perfection, protection, or direction. Storms of correction, like Jonah. Storms of perfection, like the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. Storms of protection, like Noah, who was kept in the flood. Storms of direction, like Paul going to Malta. 
In your storms, who are you listening to? In your storms, who are you trusting? Do not trust human professionals. Trust in the Word of God. Let God speak and do what He says. Let's pray. God, we thank You for this time. God, we thank You for all that You've blessed us with. We ask that You would guide us through these storms, that we would listen to You and we would listen to Your leaders that You put in our, our, our lives. And by listening to them, we'll have peace and we'll have salvation through the storms. We thank You. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand. we thank you that you guide our days, you guide our lives. You guide us in the sunshine and you guide us in the storm. That your word is always present because you're always present. That you speak hope, future, and peace for our life. Jesus, you told us in this world we'll have tribulation, but be a good cheer to take courage because you've overcome the world. Maybe this morning you're finding yourself in the midst of a storm. Who are you listening to? Listen to God. 
Seek Him and He will be found. And He will guide you with His eye. So, God, may You do that. May You guide us in our day. And may everything we say and do make You smile. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen and praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.